Jordan. It is yeah. wonderful to be here with you today. So good to be here with you. Yeah. So excited. So let's start. I want to hear about your background. How did you get into theater, Broadway, and entertainment? Yeah, so I, I it all started when I was really young, like about six years old. Um, I would always put on these plays in my living room and I would cut up my mom's weave and my dad's work uniform and make costumes. I don't know why they didn't beat my mind. But I, I really just like love telling stories and love becoming other characters and, and making my cousin be characters of other. Like I, I just had this kind of storytelling bug inside of me that I couldn't help but get out. Um, and so that started with like me doing plays in the living room to going to the backyard, to growing from the backyard, to doing them in the church. Um, then when they got a little bit too much for the church. Then I got a credit card and I started maxing about and putting putting up like plays and like rec centers and and gyms and art, art cultural centers, things like that. Um, I just I just had to get these stories out of me and these characters out of me, and I I loved interacting with audiences. And so that just grew. And then when I moved to New York, I would like hand out flyers in Times Square and like on the subway, trying to like pass out and let people know that my shows were happening. And that just grew and grew. And then. I uh, was went to college at the New School. Then I did uh, Ain't No Mo at the Public Theater, and then it went from the Public Theater to Broadway. How did you convince producers to, to take a chance on you and take a chance on Ain't No Mo and get it to Broadway? Yeah, you know what's crazy is I really had to do a lot of the work myself first. Really? Yeah, because it was one of those pieces where it just wasn't like anything else. Mm. You know, when people want you to compare something to something, it's like, I, I don't really know what it's comparative to. Um, but really, I had to believe in myself and believe in my work before I trusted other people to believe in it for me, right? right? Yeah. And I think that started with putting on readings, like with the community, like finding different, different organizations that would let me just set up music stands and call friends and read a play, right? right? And I think once I started doing that, that's when um, Jack Phillips Moore from the Public Theater ended up seeing a, a, a reading of it that was done in New York Theater Workshop uh, with Stevie Walker Webb, and it, it just kind of grew from there. But it all started with, you know, doing it for myself because nobody, people told me it wasn't a play. Literally, I remember sending it to certain theaters and and they'll be like, we don't know what this is, but it's not a play. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what a, how does this work right. on stage, you know? Now, for the non-Broadway informed yes. like us, yeah, yeah, yeah. can you please explain um, the synopsis of your play? Yes, so Ain't No Mo <laughs> is basically about if all black people in America got a email saying that they had to go back to Africa and you watch all these different people around the country decide whether or not they're getting on the final plane out of America. There's only one plane left and all these people are deciding whether or not they're getting on it. Yeah. And I think the important part is you also starred in it. I did. Well, tell me about why you made that decision. Yeah, so I, I started in it as Peaches, who's who's the drag queen flight attendant <laughs> who gets all these millions of black folks on this plane. Um, you know what's funny about it is that my spirit knew I was writing that role for myself, but my ego didn't. Hmm because I was a little afraid to step into it and I wrote it for other actors specifically yeah. and nobody really could get the music the way that I wanted the music to yeah, go, right? Yeah. And finally, you know, our, our director was just like, you need to do it. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we, we literally had to let go of an actor um, hours before a performance um, because it just wasn't working. And I was like, what are we gonna do? And he was like, Jordan, <laughs> You're an actor, you, you and you know this script better than anybody. You know this character, so I just put on that wig and I went out there and I and I got all those people on that plane. 
That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, it, and it just stuck and it fit like a glove. I didn't even realize I was fighting it for so long. And then finally when I did it, I was like, wow, this, this actually is, is, is me. Yeah. yeah. And you made history as the youngest black playwright in Broadway history, yeah. which is incredible. How did that make you feel? Uh, insane. Yeah. You know, insane. Like, it's something you don't even really think about, yeah. you know, because you're too busy just doing the work. But to think about the fact that, you know, the person before me was Lorraine Hansberry wrote A Raising in the Sun in 1958, you know? So to think that I'm, like, following in that, in that footsteps, in that lineage just excites me. And also you know, to me is the beginning of the future. It's the beginning of a new kind of storytelling and a new kind of theater, a new kind of Broadway, you know? Definitely. Yeah, now yeah. talk to me about the day you received your Tony nomination because uh, that's huge. What were you feeling? Yeah. And then talk to me about the, the awards process and sitting yeah. there too. Wow. Like I was, what's so funny is I, it just so, so happened to coincide with me going back home. So I was back home in Texas okay. the day that we got the nominations. And it was so surreal because we were watching the news and hearing my name come across that many times in the same living room where I used to do those plays. And wow. I just feel like there's a, there's, a, there's a version of me, there's a little Jordan version of me that is just still jumping around somewhere. Just... <laughs> Can't, cannot believe how far I've come from doing living room plays to being on Broadway and then to getting six Tony nominations. Like, what? That's yeah. crazy. That is crazy. crazy. Um, and one of the things, we, I know we've talked about this before, is yeah. when you were, you know, putting out Enomo, you asked on social media, you said, um, you asked if Broadway was ready for it. Yeah. Do you feel this way post-production? Do you feel Broadway was ready for it? And then... You know, looking at what you're doing now in Hollywood, do you think the world is ready for, for yeah, things like that? Yeah, I don't think so. Mm, I think I, I think that, you know, no one's ever ready for anything. Mm. I really do believe that as humans, we just learn to get ready. We learn to be prepared um, in a way that like with anything, whether it's art, whether it's legislation, you know, a lot of people didn't just, you know, say, oh, now we're going to eradicate Jim Crow, right? It's like, <laughs> no, you were forced to eradicate yeah. Jim Crow, right? <laughs> and I think that when it comes to art, it's that exact same kind of thing. I always say that, the kind of art that I want to make, I don't want to make the art that people want today. Mm. I want to make the art that they need tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is Ain't No Mo encapsulated and all of my work encapsulated, even with, you know, the Miss Pat show. Like, that was something that, you know, people told me I was crazy to make and that it wouldn't work and that's not how TV works and you can't, you know, break magical realism and do all these things. And then it ends up, you know, being the first thing to ever get uh, the network Emmy nominations, you know, in 40 years of existence, over 40 years. Right. So it's that thing of like, you know, when people aren't ready, that's when you know you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise we would always stay stagnant. You know? right. No, that's a great yeah. way of looking at it. Yeah. How did the success that you had on Broadway and in the theater community then translate into success in, in Hollywood? And did you learn any business lessons from one that you carried to the other? Absolutely. There was a, I was talking with somebody about this earlier, this idea of fearlessness, you know? Yeah. And I think my fearlessness came from 
adversity, always pushing back against adversity. I always tell this story about the, the first time that uh, I went to high school and know, knew that there, were, there was a theater class because in junior high, I created the drama club because I was just a theater geek. Um, but when I got to high school, I was like, yo, like there's gonna be a class and it's gonna be lit and I don't gotta do nothing, <laughs> I can just show up, you know? And so I get there and it's me and this other girl, Serafino, we're the only two black people in the entire theater department. And we were all wanting to audition for this fall play. So we auditioned for the fall play. And then afterwards, the teacher pulls us aside and she says, Jordan, you know, you're so great, you're so great, but you're just not right for this show. You're just not right for this part. Then pulls Serafino apart. And you're just, Serafino, you're so great, you're so great. But, you know, I can't give you this part because you would have to be romantic with a white boy on stage and it would look like peanut butter and tuna on stage together. Uh-huh. What? Like the most ridiculous, that's the that's verbatim quote, wow. like ridiculous. But I remember being so upset by that, that I couldn't do anything but write. And I wrote a play for Serafina and myself, and I got the prettiest white boy in school to play her husband. <laughs> and we made like $700 off of $2 tickets in a weekend. Oh and uh, a local theater company, DVA Productions, ended up coming and seeing that play. And they ended up producing it because they liked it so much. Wow. And that was my first professionally produced play at 16 years old. But there was this constant idea of, of adversity, right? Of pushing back and finding ways to go against the grain. So. With that, there's also the aspect of foolishness. Mm. I believe everybody should have an ounce of foolishness in them because fools are brave because they don't know any better, Mm. right? And there's a stagnant fool, which no one wants to be, and there's an active fool, which we should all want to be. An active fool is, is fearless, and an active fool pushes forward. And because they're foolish, the people around them are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not how we've done that. We've never done that before, right? But you're just moving carefree through onto what you believe is right, right? Yeah. And I kind of have taken that from theater and then also bringing it to my, like, television and film aspect of myself, which, one, is always going to have a theatrical element to it just because theater is my heart, and I feel like everything should be theatrical. I feel like, to be honest, I feel like a lot of film and television takes away our imagination because it presents us everything instead of asking us to come towards it, right? And I think that, that when it came to television, I just was a TV geek. So I knew I knew a lot about a lot. So specifically uh, with my show, it's a sitcom in front of a live audience, right? So I love Desi Arnaz and Lucy Ball. Desi Arnaz literally created what we know to be the television sitcom totally. now, right? But BET had never done a traditional sitcom before. They were used to like laugh tracks, right? They were used to a certain kind of sitcom that shoots an episode a day and not, you know, not the old school. And I wanted to do that old school kind of thing, right? But there were people in the, along the way who were like, we, we can't do that. We don't do that. Uh, uh, audience, right? Uh, how are you going to do two shows in a day and shoot it? How are you going to do rehearse from Monday through Wednesday? And I'm like, yeah. no, but I know these people did it in 1951, <laughs> so why can't we do it in 2023, you right. know? And, you know, they ended up trusting me in a lot of things, not only in the in the format, but also the content. You know, they were like, you can't say that. We can't say that. Yeah. But it, it all came from my bravery of being a, a, a forward person thinking fool yeah you know interesting yeah. and how were you able to like break into the hollywood scene convince bet to take a chance on you how what was that process like for you oh that was a journey so yeah. so the miss pat show specifically started at um i was i was 23 when i wrote it 
And I actually wrote it in my apartment. I, y'all, I used to live in this in this horrible New York apartment. <laughs> I didn't have a closet. I slept on a futon. I always said I had five roommates and two rats because yeah. it was okay. just the best. <laughs> um, but I wrote that pilot, and I knew that I wanted to do a old school sitcom, but I wanted it to be R-rated. I wanted it to be uncensored. I wanted, you know, this this black family to talk how like a lot of a lot of parents talk, you know, yeah. around their kids, you know? And so I wanted to put that on air and kind of specifically with Miss Pat, who's I don't know if you know who she is, but she's like, she's an amazing comedian. She she lived a crazy life. She had two kids by the time she was 15, but shot twice, sold drugs, went to prison, and now she's a stand-up comedian. And so basically I wanted to create this sitcom around her in the same vein of like Red Fox or Bernie Mac or mm. Richard Pryor. But with them, they weren't allowed to really be themselves in a lot of ways because television wasn't ready for that. And so I wanted to try something new and give a comedian who's used to like going on stage and you know being themselves the ability to be themselves in front of a live studio audience in a sitcom family set, mm. right? And so I tried to do this and they were like, no, 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 it'll never work. So I remember Miss Pat, um, because Fox, we were at Fox at the time, and Fox said, you know, um, Lee Daniels brought, brought me to Fox and Miss Pat brought me to Fox, and they were like, absolutely not. We're not giving a kid in college a television show. I don't care how good his plays are. They were like, we, we're, not, we're not doing that, right? So Lee's like, you know, well, we're, we're going to keep trying, and Miss Pat calls me, and she's, she's not from the Hollywood scene either, so she does things a certain way. So she calls me, and she's like, yo, they're not going to give you this job. They don't want you to make this show. Um, and... She said, but I want you to do something for me. I want you to write the first episode. And I was like, what? She was like, write the first episode and take your name off of it. I was like, what do you mean take my name off of it? So I took my name off of it. I wrote the episode, trusting. And she sent it in to Fox, her and Lee Daniels. And Fox said, who wrote this? And they said, it was the kids you didn't want to hire. (laughs) (laughs) What a good strategy. Yeah. And that's how I ended up being able to to have my own show. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, the thing that's unique about you is you've been like, you know, talent, you've been forward facing, and then you've also been behind the scenes. You've been yeah. a writer, obviously. What's it been like managing yourself as like the, the Jordan Cooper brand? No. Uh. It's been it's been really interesting, you know, because there's there's multiple sides of me. There are people who know me more for my acting or being on Pose or, you know, uh, the idea of me, you know, getting getting nominations as an actor on Broadway. And then there are the people, you know, who are used to me just being behind the camera and directing episodes and and show running and putting out fires. That's really what show running is. You're constantly walking around with a fire hose, (laughs) putting out fires constantly, getting phone calls at five o'clock in the morning saying, this actor wants to wear this wig or, or we got to repaint this set this color or we need the, your approval on this. It's it's constantly, you know, getting your hands dirty. You know, people swear, the people I work with on my set, you know, they get so surprised when I'm actually like working and doing events because they're like, oh, you really clean up nice. And I'm like, you're just used to me seeing me with a fire hose. That's why, <laughs> you know, and but they, they really work on both sides of my brand because there's a side of me that is, yes, I am in front of the camera. Yes, I am, you know, the actor, right. but also I have to make sure that that the things are being cooked in the kitchen. You Absolutely. Know? Um, and both of those things kind of work for the same yeah. in me, one at one, one hand and the other. That, yeah. that is cool. Yeah. So going along with that, because now I think we can consider you also a business person. Yeah. Is there one business rule that you've learned along the way that you operate by no matter what? Oof. Listen to everybody. Mm. Listen to everybody. Because you'll never, you'll ne- you can never underestimate 
how your employees will work harder for you when you respect them as human beings. There's something, I always say this, especially like being on television and comedy, you know, I'm, I'm the person in charge, you know, I'm the, I'm, in, I'm the one telling everybody where to go and doing all the things, yeah. but I'm also not afraid to be wrong. So I always say, if there's a custodian who's sweeping the floor and he has a better joke than the one I just put in this, <laughs> that joke is gonna go in there, you know? I'm never, there is no respected person. So that's, that's one. Also, scare money don't make money, you know? Scare, really scare money don't make money. That so you can't sense. you can't move fearly, you can't move fearful in all that you do. You can't move looking at how this person did it or how that person did it. And maybe I shouldn't do that because that person didn't do it that way. No, you have to move. That's where you get the bank from. That's where you get the audience from. That's where you get the money from. Right. Is this idea of being fearless because through fearlessness you get that bold product. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. yeah. How do you maintain being yourself versus, you know, the public image that you showed everyone else in the world? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm out of my business. <laughs> no, for real. I, after every night, after doing eight, Broadway is eight shows a week. I would go yeah. on that stage. I would do eight shows a week. I would go outside. I would sign the autographs, take the pictures. Then when I went home, I baked cookies and watched the divorce court. That's okay? nice. That is, that is, that was my guilty pleasure. Trash television. <laughs> And cookies. <laughs> that, I love but, it. but it did something to like really just help me stay grounded and help yeah. me stay sane. And also, your circle is important. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody can't go with you. You know, that leads into my next question perfectly, yeah. which is like, how do you find the right mentors, both in in Hollywood and in theater? And who have those people been for you? Yeah, you know what's wild is that I'm so grateful that in every phase of my life, I've had mentors that not only that I, I admire, but have helped push me along the way, just, just through advice, yeah. right? And like specifically, like I started with my Sunday school teacher because she was the only one, once again, I, was, I was, grew up in Texas, so it's football. So nobody's really like, let's go to the theater. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. But my Sunday school teacher, Miss Peggy, she, she still has my first play that I wrote when she says oh. I was like four. She still has it. She takes it everywhere whenever we see each other. That. But she really poured into me because she understood, you know, theater. She might not have been, you know what I mean? But she understood right. it. So I went from her to like Sharon Gusby Keaton to Yaki Smith um, to, to, to all these people. Then when I got like to Hollywood, the people who I considered to be my like Mount Everest of entertainment literally became my mentors from Debbie Allen to, to Norman Lear, who like literally is the blueprint of, of my work in television, um, to Tyler Perry, to Lee Daniels, to 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 who else? Like I can't even. I can Queen Latifah. All these people who who validated my existence and my want and my art, even when I was just a kid doing it in the living room, mm. now can look at me and say, "You're good, kid." You know, I love that. That yeah. that's that's so validating. Like after Norman Lear saw the pilot of the Miss Pat show, and he sent me a video saying how much he loved the pilot and how great he was to me. Like, I was like, what? You know, all in the family, <laughs> so good cool. times. Right. And, and like, it's just, it's just so humbling. Mm. And what I find so beautiful is that those people teach me how to move forward with my baton, you know, when it's my turn to, you know, continue moving forward, how to look back and, and make sure that you're actually grooming and uplifting and inspiring those who are coming behind you. You know, Absolutely. Um, I've just taken that with me and it, it means so much. And like the fact, I always say that Michael Jackson quote, 
is one of my favorite quotes. Study the greats and become even greater. I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's great advice. Yeah. Do you have a dream collaborator and, and who would it be and why? Oh, I have so many. Beyonce! <laughs> Yes, I think she's Beyonce. all of our dream collaborators. No, listen, listen, Beyonce. I'm listen, Beyonce. I think she's, I think she's such a great actress, yeah. and I think that it's hard to escape the like supernova of like you know people seeing Beyonce and everything you do. Um, but I think she, she's super, super, super just talented and, and a hard worker, and I would love to work with her. Also, Viola Davis. Also, Angela yeah. Bassett. Also, like. <laughs> Like, who else? There's so many, like, dope. Florence Pugh is really dope, too. I love yeah. watching her. Um, there's so many actors and actresses that I I just cannot wait to to work with. Um, Steven Sondheim is, like, one of my biggest... <sighs> yes. He's one of my biggest inspirations yeah. as far as literature, because he's a playwright. Even though he's a composer, he writes plays in his yeah. songs. Um, and I remember one time... He inspires me to write for women, too, because... The, the way that he wrote for women is just unparalleled musically. Um, Especially in that time period, like, too. Like, what? Yeah. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> and I think that that's... And I was raised around a lot of strong women, so I feel like that's why, you know, the first... When I sit down to write a character, the first mouth that opens is usually the, the voice of a woman. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Idea. It's so interesting. But also, um, like, Stephen Sondheim... Oh, I gotta tell you the story. Okay, so Stephen Sondheim, I was in the public theater... And I was workshopping Ain't No More at the time. And I had my backpack, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm this college student, I'm running from class. And I go downstairs and I see Steven Sondheim. It took me like five minutes to go up to him because I was like, is that Steven Sondheim? <laughs> and I went up to him and I was just like, Steven Sondheim, oh my gosh, like you're, you're, you're amazing. Like your work has made my life. Right. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, 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 your work, your work has made my life. He was like, is your life good? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, 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 I think so. He said, then that's a damn good compliment. Aww. And I just great. hold that moment with me. So, like, uh, j just, we have so many legends who are just constantly spitting out gems um, in their mouths and also in their work. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to have them. And I can't wait to collaborate with with them and, Absolutely. and future yeah. generations. And yeah. I'm sure you've got a lot of rejection in your career, being in theater, being in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. Tell me about that experience for you and any advice you have for others who may be pitching or going through similar rejections in their fields. Yeah. You know, rejection, I know it's corny to say, but I always I always believe that old, ad, that old adage is rejection is protection in a lot of ways because sometimes you have this really bold, this really beautiful part of yourself that is not yet ready to be in the hands of just anybody, right? And I say that because sometimes we have to train people how to receive us, mm. and we have to train people how to receive our work. Yeah. And the way that we train them is really to believe in ourselves first and invest in ourselves first, and don't wait for anybody to open the door for you or give you the green light. You are the traffic light. You can switch it to green when you want to switch it to green and switch it to red when you want to switch it to red, and really, just believing in yourself. Don't let nobody talk you out of what you know to be true, mm. right? Because if they can't give you the space, you can find the space. Mm. If you got to do it in the living room, if you got to do it in the backyard, if you got to do it at the rec center, do it, right? Mm. Crowdfund. Find ways or do that nine to five. Do what you got to do. Save up a dollar, ten dollars every week, twenty dollars every week. So by the end of the year, you can rent out a space, you know? Really just... Pour into yourself, because in every aspect of my life, you know, I've just, there's always some form of you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. 
there's always some form of we don't get it. Yeah. We don't understand it. That's too much. That's too, you know. And when I come to those crossroads, I've realized that every time feels like the first time I've heard no. You know, it feels like the first time that somebody's told me no. And I think that what I'm grateful for is because I've received so many no's, at some point, spirit just knocks something into my head. It's like, do you know who you are? <laughs> do you know what you've done when people told you you couldn't do it? When people said it was impossible? What you are is a path maker, is a way maker. And I believe all of us are way makers. All of us have something within us that, that is built to, to lay a path that has not, never existed before, right? And of course, people are gonna say, you can't lay a path there if they've never seen one. Mm -hmm. So you have to start laying the brick. And if you start laying that brick so eloquently and so beautifully and so perfectly, other people are like, that's a nice, that looks like fun. I need to lay a brick down. Let me help you out. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, Let me right. lay that brick down. And before you know it, you got a highway. You got a highway to where you want to go. And I think that that's what's really, you know, pushed me forward is to never, ever, ever take no for an answer when there's a yes in the bottom of your gut. That's great advice. Yeah. What's next for you? What are you targeting the future? Any goals, hopes, dreams that you want to have? Yeah. You know, I want to continue to grow my company in mm. Cookout Entertainment. I want to continue to make television and film. And I also want to help, you know, really bridge that gap of theater to being a lot more accessible mm. and a lot more um, welcoming to, to people who may not be able to afford to get to the theater or afford to a flight to New York to get to Broadway or even the gas to drive to Manhattan, you know? Right. I want to to really make my work accessible uh, and help uplift and amplify voices that are so often silenced. Yeah. And finally, Jordan, what would you want your legacy to be? Mm. Inspiration. Mm. I want to inspire people to live, to laugh, to love, to cry, to heal, to dance, to twerk to cook, to love. I want to inspire people. I want to inspire generations to do those things um, through my work, you know, and through my existence as a person. And also, I just want to be known for leaving doors wide open, you know, so it doesn't have to be as hard for somebody else, you know. There's footprints, there's a pathway, there's a doorstop. Because, because I heard a no, maybe it's that much easier for somebody to hear yes, because I pushed through that no, you know? That's excellent. Thank you so much, Jordan. Yes. That is incredible advice, and it has been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much you for too. joining Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so glad to be here.